Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome into Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is February 22nd, 2016, and this is episode 152. My name is Jake English. I'm here, as always, riding on the coattails of Mr. Scott Magnus. If you are listening to our voices right now, you're most likely doing it at our website, which is birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can also find the show on the Baltimore Sports Report Network, which can be found over at Baltimore Sports report.com slash network where you can find a bunch of great other shows you can also track us down on baseballtalkradio.com which has baseball talk shows from all across the league including our very own about the baltimore orioles nice description <laughs> you can find our show on third-party platforms such as stero uh stitcher <laughs> miro and double twist this is going very well you can also find us on iTunes, and if you do, please rate and review the show and let us know that I cannot speak or deliver intros very effectively. You can also find us on social media. We're on Google+, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter at BirdseyeViewBAL. We're also on Periscope, where you can find us at BirdseyeViewBAL, where we did a little intro for tonight's show, and that may may stay, may go, we're not sure. We're on Snapchat. Look, we are too old to use all of these various platforms, but but um, come mock us everywhere you can find us at Birdseye View. Just making up words now. <laughs> and Scott, we're also on Creamsicle, my favorite, my favorite uh, social media. Also, lastly, don't forget uh, to tune in on April third, as a bunch of local podcasts will be broadcasting all day. To celebrate the return of Orioles baseball, we're participating in an event that's hosted by Section 336. It's called Birdland Radio, and you can find all the details that you need over at birdlandradio.com. Scott, I'm going to take a deep breath because apparently I can't speak tonight. And while I'm doing that, tell me what you're drinking in this week's Drink of the Week. Jake, I am drinking a Pendulum Pilsner. Um, this is from the Peabody Heights Brewery. Um, it's okay. Been it's okay. I've had better from Peabody Heights. Sure, but it's a Pilsner. It's a Pilsner. Okay. But it, it's it, I've had better. Old Oriole Park, highly recommended as a lager. It may be the best lager in the Maryland area. Speaking of brews from the Maryland area, is that is that a theme? Are we being topical here? Is that what's going on? Uh, speaking of Maryland beers, I'm drinking a Flying Dog. It's Bloodline, which is a blood orange ale. It's quite good. Had it on Friday for the first time, and I rushed right to my local beer store to make sure I got more. You bought it because it was orange, didn't you? Maybe. Okay. Maybe. It's spring, baby. Simple mind, everybody. Simple mind. Speaking of simple, let's do this real simple. 140 characters or less this week on the Twitters. I want to talk first and foremost about the elephant in the room, but it's a smaller elephant. Ooh, hello. 
This is a tweet that comes from Orioles Hangout that they tweet at Orioles Hangout. It is a side-by-side comparison picture of Chris Tillman last year in his uh, fat Oprah phase and this year in his skinny Oprah phase with the text that reads, Big difference, Mr. Tillman. Hashtag best shape of his life. Except here's my issue. Fat pitchers are known to actually do pretty well, all things considering, because they actually see increased velocity. Did we not learn anything from the CC Sabathia debacle when he got really skinny and he lost velocity and he hasn't been the same pitcher ever since? Well, maybe it was the alcohol, actually, now that I'm thinking of it. If he can hit anything like Bartolo Colon, I'm willing to take a shot. Yeah. All right. Next week um, comes from Matt Taylor at Roar from 34, and it got us thinking, what do you do to celebrate spring training? Matt Post, pitchers and catchers. Time to break out the Orioles garden flag again. Jake, what did you do for uh, celebrating spring training? Well, I um, I wear as much orange as possible, Yep, um, which annoys my wife incredibly because she sees uh, basically February through October as being just an orange laundry pile. Um, bring out the original Orioles garden gnome, not the buck gnome, but an, an actual garden gnome. Um, and then I start uh, babbling about baseball mm. more so than usual. Wow. Um, Jake, next tweet. Uh, I hate to even mention this. Look, our fans have had plenty to complain about in the last two te- decades, but at least it's not this. This comes from Hardball Talk. You can follow him at Hardball Talk. The Yankees think you're stupid. And it's an article going back to the topic of the secondary market ticket policies from the New York Yankees that basically say the New York Yankees are not going to accept printed out tickets any further. Um, go ahead. Look, this is a bogus story. Oh, is it? There is a real and good reason why the New York Yankees are no longer accepting printed tickets. I know the answer. Because they don't want Sam Dingman and Alan Smith coming into the ballgames anymore. It's darker than that. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this in a darker place. They are no longer accepting printed out tickets because they will only accept tickets that are tattooed on the back of Yankees fans' manservants. Ah, uh, okay. That's a good, good, good thought. <laughs> It's not. That's a really. I like the Sam Dingman, Alan Smith idea much better, but that's just me. I want to go to a tweet from Aaron Gleeman, who tweets, of course, at Aaron Gleeman. Pablo Sandoval, who was fat when Red Sox gave him a $95 million contract, being ripped to shreds by Boston Media for being fat. Look, this makes me angry, and I'm not okay with this. Twitter, Red Sox fans... Whoever it is out there, stop making me feel sympathetic towards a member of the Boston Red Sox. I mean, one thing that we've got to point out here, too, is the Boston Red Sox have a long history of having well-physique players out there in the field. (laughs) David Ortiz is a clear example of a well-physique figure that deserves our utmost respect. He is the specimen of beauty, basically. It takes a lot of conditioning to maul a bullpen phone. Look, I, I think that this is terrible. Pablo Sandoval may not be the thinnest man alive, but he was at one point very good at what he does at, at the same BMI or whatever you want to call yeah. it. He hasn't changed much except for the fact that he didn't hit last year. And frankly, if he had hit last year, we wouldn't be having this conversation. There's a reason they call him the panda because he looks like a panda. Um, final tweet, because baseball isn't used for enough euphemisms. Um Here's one that we came across recently. This comes from Matt Sussman. You can follow him at sus2hyphens. Turns out spring training is a decent euphemism for sex on a bed. Hmm. I like that. Going in for a little spring training. Yeah, yeah. Not bad. Not bad at all. You know, other euphemisms, well, not even euphemisms, the Orioles certainly have been known to manipulate the rosters lately. Um, while we're in this spring aspect of, I guess, sex on a bed, why don't we go and do some 
Rosturbation. All right, Scotty, uh, much of the 2015 team is returning, right? I mean, a lot of this offseason has been basically getting back to what we were. We got a few new additions to the team, but there are very few position battles left, and this roster is basically a done deal. You're going to have to forgive me for a moment, but I'm going to talk this whole time as if Dexter Fowler were already signed, because it feels like it's all over but the shouting. Okay. So... Let me lay this out for you, how I feel like the roster is going to break down. And you can pick it apart and tell me why I'm stupid. Okay. Which we normally do every single year. I'm like, no, you missed this one, you missed that one. But go ahead. And you're usually right. Usually I am, You jerk. Yeah. All right. Starters are a done deal. Yeah. Right? So you're going to have Tillman, Gallardo, Jimenez, Gosman, and Gonzalez in some sort of order. Those are your one through five. Barring something crazy, yes. Sure. I'm going to skip the bullpen for a second. Okay. Because I feel like that's going to be the largest discussion that we have. Sure. For position players, it's simple. You're going to carry two catchers, Weeder and Josephs. Yep. All right. Going around the infield, you've got Davis, Scope, Hardy, Machado being backed up by Flaherty. Hmm. Yep. All right. In the outfield, this is the way I break this down. And I think the outfield is the second biggest contingent of discussion. Okay. I've got uh, Trumbo. All right. Let's hope he never gets out there, but go ahead. He's a DH slash fifth outfielder. Then you've got Jones, Kim, and a roster space I'm calling Fowler. Okay. All right? And that leaves... So you're calling it foul? I am indeed (laughs) calling it foul. That leaves us with two roster spots left. Okay. Okay. At this point... So we already have a backup catcher in Joseph, mm -hmm. and we already have Ryan Flaherty's utility infielder, so you can fill two positions with whoever you want. I think with the way the 40-man roster is constructed, you don't have any attractive infield options because the only other infielder on the 40-man is Christian Walker. Yep. Uh, so I think that opens it up to outfielders, at which point I think Nolan Reimold, who they've insisted on signing, makes it as the fourth outfielder. And I think they are going to try to hang on to the fifth uh, rule draft guy, uh, Joey Ricard. Yep. I thought at one point that it was either or if Dexter Fowler joined the team. But after looking at it a little bit, I, I think they will try to carry both. What do you think about that outfield situation? Um. I think you've pretty much knocked it out of the park with the position players. I do think that they're going to either choose between Joey Ricard or Nolan Reimold. I don't think both players are going to end up on this team. Um, but that being said, if I had a choice of anybody on the team right now, uh, I think it's going to be Ricard and Reimold right now. I think the other player that would be of interest to the Orioles to maybe remove Reimold uh, either in a trade or just wave him would be Jimmy Paredes. Um, but if I had a choice, I'd be picking Nolan Reimold in the heartbeat right now. Yeah, the thing about Jimmy Paredes is that I'm not really worried about him getting away on waivers. Yeah. Um, so I think that Paredes would be a good guy to hang on to in the organization if he can. Or, you know, he's uh, a Danny Valencia who doesn't play any positions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, he's basically a permanent DH. And to be fair, Mark Trumbo should be your permanent DH in most situations. Absolutely. But yeah, actually, I have no issues with that position player allocation. I wouldn't put anybody... Above leaps and bounds, Paredes may be able to make it if he has another hot spring, but let's be honest, that's probably not going to happen. Unless he Jake foxes it out, huh? Yeah. All right, let me stop backpedaling. Let me go to the relievers. This is how I see it breaking down. And again, after I'm done talking, you can just rip it to shreds. I've got Britton, O'Day, and Brock as your clear 
uh, back three with Brian Mattis, who they refuse to get rid of. Mm-hmm. All right. I give uh, a bullpen spot to Bundy, okay. who has to make the has team make if the he team. comes out healthy. Yep. My last two spots go to Givens, yep. who I think pitched his way onto the team, and he's going to have to pitch his way out of it um, in the spring, even though he does have the options. And the last bullpen spot I'm giving right now to um, the Vanimal, Vance Worley. Okay. What do you got? I don't have anything. I think that's exactly what the bullpen is going to be. I think the two players that are on the cut basically are going to be Chaz Rowe and TJ McFarland, who again has options. Chaz Rowe does not have options. I think the only thing I would like to see is potentially uh, a trade in this bullpen, if possible, either of Brian Mattis or of Vance Worley in order to get an option spot, because I think they're going to be in tough needs uh, later on the season. Do I think Michael Givens is going to ride the Norfolk shuttle many times this season? Oh, yeah. I think he's going to ride the Norfolk shuttle many a times. Probably not even for the 10 days. They'll figure some way to get him back up here. But I would really like to see Brian Mattis or Vance Worley come out of that bullpen with an optional player, such as a Mike Wright, Tyler Wilson, somebody in that in that realm. Odrismer Despagne. Odrismer Despagne. All T- for one and one for all. Yeah. Or TJ McFarland, just kind of bounce back and forth between Despagne and TJ McFarland. But Worley, I would hold on to for as long as possible, just in case something does happen in the starting rotation and you need to substitute someone in. Vance Worley could easily do that uh, for you know the period of April. So maybe a late spring training trade of Mattis or Worley if, if necessary. And Worley, I think, is a, a valuable asset if another team has a setback health-wise and is coming out of, of spring and wants you know a fifth guy or a long man in the pen. Um, the only the only hedging of the bets that I have going in with the bullpen is that it's very possible that Buck Showalter would want a second lefty because really outside of Britain you've just got Mattis back there, um, but that would require one of two things in in my mind. The first is that T.J. McFarlane has to make the club, and you know I feel like I crow about this guy all the time and talk about how he wasn't a worthless Rule Five draft pick, but the thing is he's a he's a quadruple A player, right? I mean he he. Plays sometimes in the majors, but he doesn't belong there full time. The only other option I see as a lefty is um, Chris Lee taking a step forward. Really heralded for the past few weeks. Uh, There's a member of the Boston Globe that apparently was watching the Orioles practice and said Chris Lee is an individual you need to watch. Buck was going off about him. Everybody this whole offseason has been talking about Chris Lee. And again, it comes back to Chris Lee was acquired from the Astros organization. I think it was like around May of last year for international slot picks. Uh, the Orioles brought him in. He worked extensively under Alan Mills and Bowie and saw an increase of like four to five miles per hour in terms of his velocity as fastball, which is uh, quite impressive for pretty much a three-month turnaround time. Normally, that stuff takes a year for that kind of velocity to increase. For it to happen only after three months, the Orioles must have done something significant to his mechanics in order to get that velocity up. It'll be interesting to see whether or not that is still seen in the beginning of spring training. Again, I come back to uh, Jason Garcia, who said, oh, yeah, this guy's pitching lights out. He's got tons of velocity. And then he started getting into spring training games, and you're just like, yeah, it's not really there. Like, you say it's supposed to be there, but it's not really there. So it's cool that people think that Chris Lee has something going on, but I would remind people, Jason Garcia, kind of a same story last year as well. I think Jason Garcia is going to pitch meaningful games for the Orioles this year. In, in Norfolk? No, I think he's going to be part of the Norfolk shuttle, and I think that he's going to be, forgive the expression, a real important shot to the arm for this bullpen because he actually pitched 
quite capably at the end of last year. After he got over the injuries, he he logged meaningful innings where he wasn't incompetent. And by that, I mean he wasn't throwing behind Jose Bautista. I, I think that Garcia being able to stay at the, in the minors in the system this year is going to take a step forward. And again, I think he'll be up and down. But I think it's a valuable arm to have. Again, I don't see how you're pulling the Norfolk shutter with the current bullpen that we have. Trade that Vanimal, baby. Yeah. Or Brian Mattis. <laughs> or Brian Mattis, please. Yeah. I, I will say, though, that we don't have that many lefties on the 40-man. Outside of the two that I, I n- named, there's also Chris Jones. And really, we don't have a whole lot of other lefties that are, are uh, available if Brian Mattis gets traded. Uh, position players. I, I listed Fowler, um, like I said, because I'm an idiot. Um, but I want to talk about this Reimold, Joey Ricard thing. Let me ask you this. If Fowler doesn't make the squad or doesn't get signed, what do you think that the Orioles will do? Will they simply fill right field out of their current uh, platoon options? Or will they go get somebody else? I think they would fill it with a Daryl Alvarez is my, my best get. And I would think that a player such as Nolan Reimold or Joey Ricard uh, would be replaced with a Jimmy Paredes again. But I think Daryl Alvarez is your starting right fielder come uh, – come opening day if the Orioles don't sign Dexter Fowler. Um, and, and we'll go from there. But like I said, you've already put the foul in, so we're just going to stick with it for the time being. All right, that works for me. Um, you you talked about it earlier, which is Ryan Flaherty. Yeah. Ryan Flaherty's ability to play every infield position and, and frankly play it at a major league caliber defensively yeah. is what allows your 24th and 25th guy to be outfielders, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and the, the crazy thing about him is that Ryan Flaherty can play the outfield positions except for center um, himself. So I, I think that he's invaluable to this club. He's also your third catcher. He's he's your third catcher. He will run and grab coffee. He does everything you need him to do. All right, you are better. You are better at this than I am. Yeah. So I am going to I'm going to uh, give you some time here. Who is your long shot? Your dark horse for making the club as of today? Pedro Alvarez. All right. I like this. Tell me more about it. All right. So if the Orioles are going to go all in, they might as well go all in and basically, you know, try to get as much value as possible. Now, Pedro Alvarez, again, you look at him defensively, absolute hot garbage. I'm not offering him for a first baseman gig. Again, we have already got Chris Davis and you already have Mark Trumbo. So the question people are going to ask, what's the deal with Pedro Alvarez? Well, if you take Trumbo and you basically say, we're going to have you bat against you know left-handed hitters, and we're going to take Pedro Alvarez, and we're going to have you bat against, bat against right-handed pitchers, you could have a pretty decent DH platoon there. You could have a situation where I think Trumbo is batting, I think it's 130 weighted runs created plus last year against uh, left-handed pitching, and you've got Pedro Alvarez who's like 115 or 120 against right-handed pitching's weighted run created plus. I mean, if you have both those players together as a DH, you're talking about you know a two to three war DH in my opinion. Um, again, it depends on the deal for Pedro Alvarez. But if you could get Pedro Alvarez for four or five million dollars, I make that move in a heartbeat, and I basically put Rymold away, and I say I've got you know Fowler as my third outfielder, I've got Ricard as my fourth outfielder, and I've got fifth if I need him. Mark Trumbo to go out into the outfield or even Chris Davis to go on the outfield as a fifth outfielder just to serve in serviceably in case someone is like injured until you can bring somebody up from Norfolk. But Pedro Alvarez platooning at DH with Mark Trumbo, uh, I think could be of a high value for the Orioles this season. Okay. 
I, I think it's great. I think, you know, if they're going to spend money, spend money, do it, get, get whatever you need. Let me ask you this. Uh, does having a guy like Pedro Alvarez, who's a left-handed bat, and for a while there it seemed like the Orioles were so heavy-handed being right-handed and they needed some lefties. Does having Pedro Alvarez in any way, shape, or form make Mark Trumbo available for trade? No. No. Absolutely not. Okay, so you you view those as a as a necessary tandem. Yes. All right. I, there is no way in the world I'd be trading away Mark Trumbo in order to put Pedro Alvarez into this lineup. If anything, I would keep Mark Trumbo over Pedro Alvarez and give him more at-bats. But I think Pedro Alvarez is an interesting Delman Young-like player where you could bring him in. I'm sorry. Easy. Easy. No one is going to slap anyone in the face with any currency on this podcast, Scott Magnus. And I think it would be a very interesting pinch hitter for a certain regard. But I also think that he would be a very interesting platoon option. So if I'm going to go out and spend some money, I'm going to drop 4 or $5 million on Pedro Alvarez and see what I can get from him as a pinch hitter. All right. All right, I like that. My my long shot is Chris Lee. You've already talked about it. I think that uh, the most likely scenario is that Warley gets traded um, that, for a bag of balls, basically. Uh, Chris Lee makes— Or draft it. pick. <laughs> no, that only happens in the other direction. Oh, no, no, no. I'm saying we'll trade away our draft pick oh, oh. in order for someone to take him off our hands. Yes, I like that very much. Oh, no, oh. you do not like that very much. Take that back now. I simply don't think the odds are very good. And if we're going to talk about the odds, I think maybe we should uh, we should do a little over under. Baby, can you understand me now? Sometimes I get a little mad Don't you know no one alive can always be an angel When things go wrong, I seem to go bad I'm just a soul whose intentions are good Oh Lord, please don't let me be misunderstood What you're listening to right now is an olive branch Look, we have been harsh on a good friend of ours, when it comes to his musical taste, we have invited Jabby Burns of the Baltimore Sports Report Network, of Baltimore Sports Today, the daily podcast of that said network. We have invited him here, A, to redeem his good name when it comes to music, B, to, uh, to check us on our off-season pessimism, and most importantly, to bring that degenerative spirit to Bird's Eye View, Jabby Burns. Welcome to the podcast. I could not be happier, more excited, and truthfully, I have to say, that song that you just played there, I actually like that song, but that's a great intro. Fantastic job by your producer, whoever she is. She does a fantastic job over there. But I'm excited to be part of this program. Uh, A podcast that people actually listen to, I want to be a part of this. Hey, listen, six people in their basement or in jail uh, there, there are our yeah, right. go-to people. Yeah, we'll see how many people can actually recognize that music and who was the original <laughs> band that actually played that music because it certainly wasn't the original band. Demo? What's your demo over there? Uh, we're definitely in the sixty to seventy-five demographic, so we're in the Tampa Bay demographic. Is is the yes. way I'm saying here? A lot of Viagra commercials. Like All right, it. Jab. This is can the you say that on this, this yes, podcast. You, you can say that on this podcast. Okay, good. 
We have right, we, talk to me. We have all Get the editing guys, that's necessary. I uh, love the synergy that we got going on on the network too. Yeah. All right. So let's start off. Most important question that we throw to any of our guests: What's your drink of the week? I had a earlier. I had a, a like a blonde beer. Now, as you know, or of many people that all four of the people that listen to me know that I usually stick to the clear. I'm, I'm a big Tito's supporter. They actually follow me on Twitter, which is, I don't know if that's sad for me or them, but it's sad all the way around. Big Tito supporter. But I had a fantastic beer. Knew I was coming on this show. I had a farmer's daughter, blonde. And I have to say, the farmer's daughter was actually about as good as the picture of the farmer's daughter on the outside of the can. So I'm going to go ahead and that's tweet. I tweeted that out to your uh, all your followers there too, so you can take a look at it. But um, pretty solid, I have to say, for a you know a blonde beer, which is not a manly type beer, right, guys? That's like from Stedman Brewery, is that right off the top of my head? I think so. Yeah, from is that Mount Airy off the top of my head? I think it's a local brew. A buddy of mine, my neighbor, actually brings me all kinds of beers and has continued to try to make me a man, and he is working hard at it. I can promise you that. All right. Well, I'm glad that you enjoyed the farmer's daughter, and uh, we'll go from there. So, Jabby, you know me. I do. I've been a little pessimistic with this offseason. Us Sabre nerds have looked at this Orioles team and, you know, we've said, yeah, I'm not sure if they're as good as, you know, what people think they may be. I think they're kind of very similar to being the 2015 team. And are we really going to be back to being, you know, a 500 team all over again, even after the exorbitant paying spree that Peter Angels has gone on this offseason? So my question to you, sir, is this. What am I missing? What makes this team a playoff team? Oh, I don't know if I, you're, I'm going to have to pull all those words out of my mouth from that you just put inside of there with the playoff talk. But I will tell you this. If I asked you before the season, so I'm going to ask you a question, even though you asked me a question, and it is your show. If I said before the season, Chris Davis is going to be back before the offseason, all these guys are coming back, they're going to add a mediocre. I'm with you guys. I don't think Gallardo is any life killer by any stretch. I think he's a he's fine. He, he's a warm body that will get the ball every the fifth day. And probably Dexter Fowler. Are we allowed to even talk about that at this point? Or we, is that still kind of like, we don't want to jinx it? We've already written him in at this point, so okay, you, you so can continue. He's pretty much in. I think he might actually take his physical before Gallardo does, by the way. <laughs> um, at this point, I have to look at this team that won 81 games last year with the pitching staff the way that they did. I mean, think about all the guys in that pitching staff. You know, the Abaldo experience, as we'd like to call it, on the old Slack check. The, the pothole um, experience. Have, yeah, I mean, you had the fat Chris Tillman that all of a sudden came in and now looks like Brady Anderson circa, you know, 2000. Let's just stick with 2000. Um, you know, you start looking at some of these guys coming back here, and then the the jump, in my opinion, that I feel like is the X factor is, is Kevin Gossman. Can Kevin Gossman, I think I heard you guys talk about it. He, to me, is such a big, uh, I don't know, he's like his ceiling is so high, but I just feel like he could step up and be that guy to kind of, not say hurry up and grab it to be an ace, to be what Jake Arrieta was to the Cubs last year. Hold on, let me take a quick drink as I say that. Um, but I just think that if they can do all those things, guys, I really feel like this team, especially in this division that I think a lot of people are overvaluing a little bit, I really feel like this team can be a contending team. I think 81 wins is on the low end. I think Pakota has them. Your boys over there are like 72 wins. I think that's absurd. I'll take the you know the up on that. But overall, how can you guys think that this team constructed the way it is right now as, as we're recording isn't better than 81 wins? And once you – I think you guys even pointed out, once you get to 85 wins, 80 anywhere from 85 to 88, I listen, you are in the mix for at least a shot at a wild card. 
All right. Well, let me ask you this while we're busy putting words in each other's mouths. Mm -hmm. Um, The difference between 2014 and 2015, if you ask anybody involved in the organization or outside, was the pitching, right? Hitting Mm -hmm. was was about about square. You know, you had the same number of runs in 2014 and 2015. I think that the the lineup is going to be there for 2016. So the real question is pitching. All right, so we have that rotation. We've added Gallardo, who you've you've said is not particularly exciting, but is not incompetent either. My question to you is this. Is this rotation going to bounce back? Are we going to get better from what we saw from, from Chris Tillman? Are we going to get better from what we saw from Miguel Gonzalez? Are we going to see the next step from Kevin Gosman? Is this pitching rotation, which is capable of either being pretty good or awful, where is it going to be on, on that scale? Jabby, can I pop in here just for a second and Please, just kind of and, and talk about this? Because it's a topic that we've kind of addressed on, on a side topic, but I want to talk about this pitching aspect. And, you know, people are going to come back and say, you know, what was the difference between 2014 and 2015 for the pitching? And people will be like, well, you know, Tillman had a little bit of consistency issues with his command. But let's get down right to the nitty gritty. 2014, we always talked about the ERA versus FIP differential. And you look at the FIP. And, you know, there was comments I've made to Rockabaco at that season, and he was like, Orioles are top five in ERA for, you know, the American League in June of 2014. I posted back, I was like, yeah, but they're dead last in terms of FIP, so how long that can that last? Well, it lasted for the rest of the season. And it comes back to what Orioles fans have been saying uh, for probably the last three years, which was the Orioles' defense is a top five defense, Except for last year. Last year, the Orioles were not a top five defense. In fact, they were probably a top 15 defense. Just in terms of uh, runs, in terms of a defense difference, there was about a 20-run difference between the 2014 season and the 2015 season. If you consider that four runs equals a win, if you can get those 20 runs back, that's five, four or five wins right there for me. I think that's an easy way for you to consider this team to be able to get back to being a really good playoff team. It doesn't have to do just with the pitching. I think it has to do with getting that ERA down via the defense. I've been on the show for, what, 10 minutes, and I've already got my boy on my side already here, Scott. I love <laughs> this, where you're coming from here on the defense. Now, if you also remember, too, that you know, 2014 it, it would also team— It would also would also help if Jonathan Scope could actually run faster than J.J. Hardy, but that's oh, a total side. Shots oh, fired. Yes. Shots that's okay. I, I see where he's going. I, I, I might have had, I might have a wager on those two in a race, but that's that's a different story. And I see where you're going here. Um, defensively, though, if you think about 2014 as well. Towards the end of that season, Matt Weeders wasn't on that team. Got to remember that too. How crazy is that? Matt Weeders, Manny Machado, Chris Davis, not on that playoff team. Yeah. that went to the ALCS. I think that's something that we sometimes forget. Not you guys, but I mean people from the outside that look at this team. Um, so I, I can see that last year, Manny, I felt like started off really slow defensively. I know he's the greatest third baseman since Brooks Robinson, but he really did kind of struggle. Now it kind of evened out when you get the numbers together and, 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 the, and I'll, I'll say this, I do believe the defense is going to be better. I don't know what to expect from the big, the bigger, heavier set guy in left field in Kim. I, I have no idea what's going to happen out there, but I think that with between Fowler and Jones, people are going to be, it's going to be taken care of in the outfield. I think Kim's going to maybe have like four or five putouts, you know, for the whole season. Um, I, I think Hardy coming back is going to help the defense. I, I totally agree with you. I think that's huge for this team. And to your point, Jake, on, on the pitching, can you not see Chris, Chris Tillman coming back and having a little bit better year now that he doesn't have to think about the, the quote-unquote 
possible four-year extension that he was talked about last offseason. I'm just saying this. I don't know these guys per se. I just know what I hear. And I know that Chris Tillman has a lot going on up in that big dome of his sometimes. And sometimes when he's out thinking himself, things don't really go as well. And you can kind of notice that when he comes out pitching sometimes. And you notice it takes him like four hours to get through three innings. That's what I'm trying to say. I, I think that there's going to be some guys that are going to have a much better year. Yes, I think Chris Tillman is a num- a solid number three, could be potentially a number two. Kevin Gossman needs to be that, take that jump. I think Abaldo is you're going to get with Abaldo. You're going to throw it up in the air. You're going to say this is going to be, you know, that's fine with him. The one guy that really scares me that's the rotation guys is Miguel Gonzalez, and he always has. And I think that little boy, that little Mexican, as somebody calls him on Twitter, I think he's a fantastic bulldog. I call him a bulldog because I love the way he pitches. The problem is he has to be perfect. And when you have to be perfect in the major leagues for, you know, let's just call it 30 starts a year, it's very difficult at this level. That's the one guy for me that I still think needs to be. I actually think that the Orioles still are working on a four-man rotation now that they've had, even added Gallardo just because I think Miguel Gonzalez is the one guy to me that that I think that the Orioles really kind of move on from at some point. It has to be now, guys, but it has to be at some point because I really feel like he might be the guy that could be keeping this team from you know maybe getting to that 85 87 win total all right let me let me ask you this um i I agree with you wholeheartedly about miguel gonzalez whom whom i love who i really root for he's an easy guy to root for he's been just a a joy to watch since 2012 but i agree i think he's the the weak link in the chain of pretty weak links um let me ask you this with the with the offense that the orioles have because I, i think that is a particularly potent offense how good does the how good does the starting rotation have to be in order to be the Trent Dilfer of the Baltimore like Orioles with a great defense or with, I'm sorry, with a great uh, bullpen with a pretty prolific offense, how good does the starting rotation have to be to simply carry the day in order to get us to a team that can win that 85 to 80, 88 games? I listened to our boy Steve Molesky on the local radio today, and that guy's got about more nuggets than anybody. He's a Towson alum. I give him a lot of shine, a lot of shine. And he said something about the Kansas City Royals that really stood out to me. I'm sorry, you, you did this on purpose, right? Didn't the Kansas City Royals finish like 11th in ERA, starting pitching, starting rotation ERA last year? They did. Um, they also had pretty much the best defense of pretty much any Major League Baseball team over the past decade and also had the best oh, bullpen. bullpen. was not terrible. Oh. Yeah. So they, let me get this straight. They have a good defense and they have a good bullpen. Yeah, they have a much better defense than pretty much the Orioles have ever had in the past five years. <laughs> okay. I'm just – okay. I, can you see where I'm kind of I'm, I'm kind of heading here to just kind of help my point here? My point is they did the Orioles also had, I think, the sixth um, best ERA in the year in 2014. I'm not expecting that to happen again. No, I, I don't think that that's probably going to be the case. But to answer your question, Jake – don't you think this offense is going to produce more runs than probably even that team did in 2014? Nelson Cruz aside. I I don't think that's the important point. I I think the important point is, can the, can the starting rotation, and I don't know the answer to this question, can the starting rotation be good enough to hand it over to the bullpen, the defense and the offense, which are, are areas of strength that we have identified and, can the offense avoid from disappearing entirely like they did for two stretches in the month of August? And coming yeah. back to Jabby's point is there are instances such as the Royals of last year, and people will constantly point back to, oh, you had one team that went really far. 
However, you can point to a multitude of teams and say, oh, that team was, you know, really was able to do, achieve something that is not normally used to being happened. Normally, you've got to be a top 15 team in terms of starting rotation in order to have a pretty decent chance that are in the playoffs. That doesn't mean that you can't have an outlier such as the Royals last year, but the Royals had other outliers from their defense, from their bullpen, and also a shit ton of luck, everyone, okay? That, you know, things just matter. And they're managing buffoon, in my opinion. Uh, he, he, Ned Yost is an, an interesting uh, manager at, at best. So uh, <laughs> no, I'm with you because you really look at the teams that were in that too. And I, I was trolling you guys a little bit with Steve. Um, with uh, in regards to the Cubs were in it, you look at the, the Dodgers, you're looking at the Mets, who were the World Series opponent for, for the Royals. I, I'm with you there. I just was using that as kind of to help me out a little bit. And I'm not trying to compare the Orioles to the Royals by any stretch because I don't feel very strongly towards that team. In Missouri. I'll just leave it there. Oh, so you're a Cardinals fan, is what I'm hearing. I love the Cardinals. God, <laughs> the Patriots of baseball. Who doesn't love the Cardinals? Oh, baby. You, you just um, like getting information from the Astros. That's all. Oh, my God. I hate the Cardinals. <laughs> Zach loves them, too. It just makes me crazy. Um, yeah. So, yes, to your point, yes, it's going to be difficult to run away with this division based on what our starting staff is. But I'm going to go to this thing, and I'm going to go to my – Hopefully not my grave this soon. Let's just hope it's, you know, years from now. But let's just say I think the Orioles aren't done adding to this rotation, not through places like the free agent market, which I would love to talk to you guys about, Gallardo, if we have the time, just because where he ended up lining up in this whole uh, litany of uh, mediocre free agent starting pitching, but at the deadline, because I think there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to be pretty terrible this year. And what they're going to want to do, and especially small market teams, Padres, are looking to do is dump some players that they don't want to have to pay and try to get something back. The Orioles are into giving things away of late, shall we say. And last time I checked, the the owner has clocked a lot of mass and dough and some of, I guess, Jake's season tickets to um, to the tune of $250 million this offseason. I'm guessing he's not going to have a problem with shipping some more guys um, out to try to acquire some starting pitching at the deadline if this team is in contention. I guess the question that you know has to be asked though is if you're going to ship out talent in order to get something of any much value above like a Miguel Gonzalez, for example, mm-hmm. what are the Orioles going to actually give up that is of any value to a team that would be giving something up? I got it. Jonathan Scope. Oh my gosh. <laughs> If, I'll say this, though. As much as it's hard for me to even think that John would be playing in some other ballpark for somebody else without a shirt on, I can tell you this. I am a. I would be willing for this team, and you know how much I love this team, I would be willing to move John in the right package. Leave it there. In the right package, I would love to move John if it came to the fact that they're going to get somebody back that is a top of the rotation. Now, as much as you know I've talked about Andrew Kashner to me, Andrew Kashner – is not a top of the rotation type guy, especially the fact that he'll be a free agent at the end of the year and you're going to have to re-sign him after what they've done this offseason. I'm not sure Mr. Andros is going to be spending the same type of dough. So it's going to have to be somebody better than that, somebody that you guys know better than I do. But I do know there's some bottom feeder teams out there that are going to be willing to move guys. And instead of waiting till the deadline itself, why don't we be proactive and actually do it a little bit earlier? I'm not arguing this at all. It's just the aspect of someone has to be willing to do this. And the Padres, which was a team that you mentioned, has been very reluctant and starting to wait. Although we may- offered them Madison Walker, basically. If you yeah. want to know the truth, they offered a Madison yeah. Walker and maybe uh, Chaz Rowe for Kashner. Sorry, like, that's not going to get it done. Which, which I don't care how much Brian wants to be back in San Diego. Yeah, which is terrible. But- Here's the thing, though, about San Diego. I, I feel like they're just trying great, to stay afloat. I think they're just trying to stay afloat. I think they've reached their ballast point. Are we, are- 
Oh, are we talking about the Chargers now too? Ballast point that tech firm. Oh, so good, so good. All right, so let's move on past the aspect of the offseason because I think we're all kind of like, let's just see what happens at this point. Oh, I think yeah. I think it's the aspect. And I'm with you guys too, by the way, real quick. I'm totally with you guys. I don't think that this team, I gave them an A-, minus. I think, on BST today when we were kind of like, you know, rating what they've done so far this offseason. I feel like an A- minus feels like a dirty grade. You know what I mean? It's almost like they're like, eh, we had to give you an A. You know the teacher or something. That's but like you an, believe. Shabby, that's like an A-plus at Towson, right, though? Oh, God, eight minuses. What do they look like at Towson? <laughs> wow. I just know that there's a lot of tents running around. That's all I'll say. Wow. I, I'll say this. as it, I'll give them an A minus at this point, B plus, if you wanted to make look look a little bit better because they didn't go out and get anybody. But I'm going to tell you right now the starting pitchers. I'm going to ask you guys real quick. David Price, no chance, right? Not coming here, right? Oh, Wasn't going to come here. There was no chance. Zach, Gr- Zach Grinke. Zero chance. Johnny Cueto. Zero chance. Now, this is the one that I get a little steamed up about, but I had no chance he's coming here. Jordan Zimmerman. See, that's the only one that I'm like, it, it's tough. It's it's tough. You're getting to the to the that tier where it feels like the Orioles could have made a move, but Zim, it, Zimmerman could have Zimmerman. Zimmerman could have come here at the expense of losing Davis. Yeah. Uh, yes, and it would have cost them more than he got to stay go where he went. Now, remember, he Correct. went way early in the in the offseason, wanted to stay in the Midwest. I think he's from Wisconsin. He's a big fan of kind of going where he – I thought he got under – I think he's undervalued. I, I think Jordan Zimmerman's perfect for Cavity Nairs, and I still to this day you know, would love it. I think the Samar- biggest thing that I have an issue with this whole offseason, it comes right back to FanFest. When Dan Duquette came out and said that money that is allocated to Chris Davis may not be allocated to other players, yeah. you just felt your heart sink into your stomach to a certain regard of like, oh, God, it's either I get Chris Davis or I get nothing. Right. And well, Mr. is pretty obsessed with too. I feel like that's almost not fair. He loves the dongs. I, I hate it, Scott, when you push me into a corner of defending the organization. So let me just say I hate this. I hate this. <laughs> you better defend them or they might call you. <laughs> $250 million has been sent, spent so far in free agency plus whatever the, whatever we give Fowler. Sure. Right? You, take, you take out $161 million of that. Yeah. Right, and you're still in a position where the off season has cost the Baltimore Orioles ninety million dollars. Yeah, still impressive. That that is not a number that the Orioles usually spend. No, normally it's like four million dollars. And, and so <laughs> I, I say to, to the Orioles' credit, and this hurts me. Yes, that in addition to whatever they spent on Davis, they have also spent on the rest of the off season. You're you're right. They have gone and basically increased their payroll to a point. That they are basically pretty close to a top ten payroll right now, and in accordance, we have top ten ticket prices now. You, in Major League Baseball. You and I, you and I have been on record as saying that they have not spent the way we would have spent. Yeah, but you can't say they haven't spent. You're right. They have spent um, in probably manners that probably shouldn't have been spent, and um, we should expect to re-sign Andy McPhail in about five or six years. Is what, <laughs> is what I'm saying. You wound me, yes. sir. All right, let's move on to. Our next topic, um, and I'm completely blanking what that next topic was, but we're going to do over-unders with, oh, with Jabby. That's right. We're going to do over-and-unders with Jabby Burns. So, Jabby, I've put together a, a category of sorts of uh, five topics, and we're going to do over-and-unders and figure out where we land on each side. And whoever comes out with the most will win a, a little bet. So I'm thinking for you it'll be a, a handle of Tito's and for myself maybe a 12-pack of uh, some local craft beer. 
I would just like to point out at this point that I am window dressing at this point. Scotty gets craft beer. Jabby gets Tito's. I get the benefit of watching. Yeah, that, that's pretty much your job for this podcast. So I like to watch. Jabby, does that sound good for you for that for that Any, bet? Anytime Jake's like on top of a bunch of boxes looking in a window, I'm all in. All right. That's not, that sounds like a plan. It sounds um, like high school too, by it, the way. It, it does sound like sound like high school. So <laughs> the the first John Carroll school. So the first over and under I've got for you for this one is Kevin Gaussman, oh. 175 innings pitched, over or under. You said no math. All right, so 175 innings pitched. He's never pitched that many in his in his short career. I know that. We but we mentioned that on the Bird's Eye View podcast last week. I think it was like 153 was uh, yes. what it was. So uh, get my total majors I'm, and minors, right? Yeah, total majors and minors. The easy play is to take the over, right? I mean, the homer in me says take the over. There's going to be no innings restrictions by any stretch with this guy. He's probably going to fill in at some point in the three slot, so he's going to get plenty of starts. May I just put another thing into your head? He does have Please. an option remaining. <laughs> oh God, he's going to get on that bus. I don't think that. I don't think he can get on that that Norfolk bus. I think uh, they may need T.J. McFarland to make like a spot like left-handed <laughs> long relief spot. Okay, so they might just be like, we're going to put him down for a few days. You know, yeah, Chen ended I, up. If in you Frederick. have an option. I feel like you're the hottest chick in Bucks like group. You know what I mean? He yeah, exactly. really likes you. Uh, I'll take the over just just because it's. It, it, and I'll say this as as a gamer, as I like to call myself occasionally, that is a huge trap that you just put me in. I know. And I'm biting. I, I'm glad that you bit on it because it's just an easy win for me to take the under. So uh, I, I appreciate that because Jabby, you're killing me. I hate to see Scott win because again, if you think that the Orioles are going to be a playoff team, which I think they may be close. You know that Gossman is going to be somewhat on an innings restriction in order to prevent him from throwing too many innings when they get into October. So I think it's going to be an under for the 175. All right. Next one, Javi. Any Orioles starter having 13 and a half wins. Oh, that's a great number. Where'd you get these things? What are you going to the nuggets? He's I mean, evil. He these? is pure nuggets. evil. Jabby, look, you may like to throw your money away on DraftKings. I happen to like to make money on it, okay? Scott Scott is a data scientist and also the devil. (laughs) Scott, and by the way, I have to give Scott some props, too, as much as he likes to play that uh, he doesn't play DraftKings basketball or uh, NASCAR. That's a waste of money. I send them all to him. But baseball, he's pretty solid at baseball. Yeah, that's a waste. Uh, I'm going to take the over there as well. All right. I, I actually like the over there, but I'm going to take the under on it and hope the Orioles somehow have a lot of wins in the bullpen, basically. But I do a like the over there. Four and two thirds. A lot of four and two thirds. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm, I'm window dressing, so my vote doesn't count. What do you What do you think, Jake? Yes. You think yes. Okay. All right. Next one. We're going to go to the big man. We're going to go to Chris Davis. Over and under. 42 and a half home runs. Under. All right. I'm going to go over. If there's one thing that Chris Davis is good at, it's hitting over 42 bombs. There's going to be a lot of strikeouts with it. He's going to hit it. Wow. Sorry. We're going to edit edit that right out. Don't worry about it. All right. Here here we go. Gentlemen, over bonus over under bonus over under. Okay. (laughs) Bonus under under, uh, totally on, on, uh, researched and not intelligent. Oh, this is a Jake thing then. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Seven year contract. Chris Davis, does he within the next seven years hit the warehouse? No. Batting practice? Batting practice, yes. 
Yeah. No way during they, a game. They let it go. No way during a game. If Josh Hamilton couldn't hit the the warehouse and those some of those home runs that he had, there's no way that four sixty eight, right? Yeah, there's no way. Right. Yeah, I Dis- see. I distance saw Bonds is four sixty eight. Yeah. All right. I saw Bonds do it when he was in for that series when they played that doubleheader back in. I mean, I'm so old that these people that listen to this podcast have no idea that the Giants used to come to Camden Yards. Uh, Are we talking Barry about Bonds, the uh, Marlins batting practice coach right now, or yes, <laughs> the, the tiny Marlins oh, yeah, batting yeah, yeah. practice coach. Um, when he was in his heyday, he hit the warehouse in batting practice. All right, pretty solid with his ego. No. Mm. So now that Jake has with his head, <laughs> now that Jake has ruined the over and unders, we're going to continue on. That's what uh, I do Jake, here, by the way, that, that ruined it. So we're going to talk Manny Machado now, mm. and you know Manny Machado, great future player, Yankee Manny Machado, or future Marlins. Stop it! Look, here's I'm going to come back and pull Jonathan Scope. I think the only way that Manny Machado stays on this team is because you would of Jonathan, never pull Scope. Jonathan Scope. He's out of your league. Go uh, ahead. Uh, all right, so Manny Machado, over and under, 20 stolen bases. Ooh. Under, he's going to hit third most of the year. So I not and this team hates stealing bases. I, under. I, I'm going the under on that one, too. I, I, I just don't see. I think Manny was coming out last year to basically show that his knees were okay. Yes. I don't see any need for him to go out there and steal that kind of bases this year. That's need, K-N-E-E-D. All right. Yeah. So we're going to end up with the great greatest one of all. With the great one. Jonathan Scope. Yeah, they, do, they, can, they compare him to Gretzky a lot. Now, to put some perspective in terms of history here, Jabby, you bet me last year that uh, oh. Jonathan Scope was going to have more home runs than Nelson Cruz. Is that correct? Did that work out? Is that still gone yet? Or are we still <laughs> – double? I think that was a two-year bet, wasn't it? Uh, if you want to make a two-year bet, we can do that. Slower oh. or faster than J.J. Hardy. Yeah. yeah. So, Jonathan Scope, over and under, 25 and a half home runs. God, you're trolling me with this one too. <laughs> He's mean spirited. Twenty five and a half is a lot for John. He's going to be hitting seventh, maybe eighth. I mean, it's going to be the best seventh or eighth hitter in the world. Uh God, you want me to take the over so bad? It's you know so what? fun to Jack. watch this happen to somebody else. By the way, I will take the over. Right. I do believe that John can hit twenty five and a half home runs, and that half home run, I will be dancing a jig out in <laughs> you, you see, in Jabby Burns City, all the benches say Jonathan Scope colon greatest hitter in America. Yes, I, I, he's I, dope. I just want to point out too that as twenty five and a half. I mean, can you put it any higher? <laughs> I mean, you could have said thirty and a half, and I'd be like, ah, well, you know, I mean, seventy five and a half home runs. <laughs> At least we did this professionally, and we threw the halves in there, so there can't be any pushes. Because the last thing we want is pushes here. So, yes. well, um, I'm surprised you didn't put a money line with it as well. Nah, I didn't put a money line. Uh, Next time you come on the show, we'll put money lines on there. So, uh, Jabby. Thanks so much for coming on the show. You know, Are you t- taking the under, I'm guessing? Oh, of course I'm taking the under. I mean, there's no way that he's going to have 25 and a half home runs. He's going to have like... Cart that up. Somebody cart that up. That, that's fine. It's like going to be like 21 or 22 home runs. Or he's going to hit like his 25th home run on the last day of the season. Jabby's going to like, come on, one more, one more. And he's just not going to quite get it. But no, there's there's no chance that he gets over 25 and a half home runs. No I chance. And, and the scary part is, is they're going to be up by 10 games and he's probably going to sit out the whole last week of the year. Probably. Probably. But, you know, it, it's nice that you're continuing to donate to my calls of my beer collection. So thank you so much again. Anytime for, I can help for coming on the show. So what are you guys talking on BST this week? And uh, how's the BSR podcast going to what are you guys talking about on there? 
Well, on the BSR podcast, and I appreciate it with the with the plugs. Uh, BSR podcast. Our boy Patrick got married, and it might have been the longest wedding slash honeymoon of all time. So Patrick's been on, and since Patrick's been gone, Mellow Trimble has not found himself. So I'm hoping Patrick gets back soon so that Mello can also find himself. Because I'm throwing out a little stat here. Mello's 13 for his last 54 from the field, if you're into those kind of things. And that's not good last time I checked. Now, I went to Catholic school, and I know from that that if you find yourself, it makes you go blind. True. And he will not find himself or go blind, but he looks like he's going blind sometimes when he's dribbling the ball up the court. And I know you guys are big Terps guys as well. So we talked a little bit of Terps, BST. We also broke down a little bit of the Gallardo situation. Your boy, Zach Wilt, is a big fan of you guys, of course, and he hates giving up draft picks. And I keep telling him that we have terrible drafts, but what does it matter? You're, you're right. We should just basically give up all our prospects because why does it really matter? Window, window. Plus, if you're going to spend $250 million in free agency every, every year, year, you don't need to worry about the draft. Absolutely. We should put pinstripes. Baltimore Yankees. Yep. Put pinstripes on the uniforms. <laughs> yes. Well, I appreciate you guys slumming it and having me on, on the show, though. Appreciate you coming on, Jabby. As always, we enjoy your money, and we'll talk to you in the future. Bye, right, brothers. It's that time of the week where we close the show out in a pretty terrible fashion. Let's blow the save. Much like Kevin Gregg. Scotty, I'm going to take blowing the save this week. Um, Last week, we talked about family. Uh, You talked about your dad, which was something that was, uh, you know, pretty special for the both of us. I'd like to spend this week talking about family, and I'm going to talk about my son. Uh, you know, we, we talk about being dads when it comes to our Orioles fandom, when it comes to us following baseball, I've got kids, a, an eight year old daughter and a five year old son, and they are the world to me. I had a new experience this past week. I signed my son up for T-ball for the first time. Big moment. And I got to tell you, I'm really excited about it. Um, because the thing is, is that, um, whether you are good at it, whether you were terrible at it, T-ball, Little League, baseball, whatever it is that you do, if you can do that in a way that you're spending time with your kids, you can do that in a way when you're spending time with your parents, it's a very special time. I'm really looking forward to enjoying baseball through the eyes of my son. I'm looking forward to that, Dad, would you like to have a catch moment it's one of those things that I've been waiting for the entire time, and here it is upon us. So here we are for the first time. We're going to spend a summer playing faux baseball together. I'm really looking forward to it. So baseball, that that family binder that we've talked about on this show plenty, it's finally here for me. So when your son is standing at second base basically playing with his junk in his pants— you're going to still exude this excitement and enthusiasm. No, I I think I'm going to exude the enthusiasm of the fact that Henry, my five-year-old son, is going to be far better at baseball in every aspect than I ever have been because I'm terrible. Yeah, there, there was only one way to go, and it was up. I set the bar for the family very low, and he gets to jump right over top. Yep, yep. It's like stepping right over it, basically. 
All right, well, spring training is going on, but honestly, there's really not going on. Some running going on, some bullpen sessions, but in all honesty, nothing really to report. It's that aspect of we're so eager to see spring training happen, but then nothing really happens. So, Jake, Baltimore and beyond, I have nothing else to report other than the fact that, thank God, baseball is back. Baltimore and beyond, I bid you a fond adieu it too. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there, and let's go O's. Gallardos. Gallardos. Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco and Giovanni Gallardo. Giovanni Gallardo. And Dexter Fowler. still here it's over go home go